Uh, my name's Bella, I'm part of the staff team here. I look after our youth and young adults programs. And on the days when I'm not working here, I work in the agriculture industry, trading grain. So if you're interested in talking more about Jesus or maybe the price of wheat, feel free to come find me afterwards. <laughs> now, this morning, we're following on our series talking about how followers of Jesus posture themselves in what is an increasingly conflicted and complex world. I don't know if maybe you've experienced this too, but sometimes when I meet someone new and they find out I'm part of a church or that I'm a Christian, um, they sort of don't really know how to respond. It's sort of like, oh, quick, change the subject, let's move on. Um, or maybe sometimes before that, they say things and it's quite clear that the way that Christians have um, acted in the past has left a bit of a sour taste in their mouth. I wonder if you've felt this before. I know for some of our young people here, making the decision to pursue their own faith is sometimes made complicated by the unwanted stereotypes of what a Christian is like. And I understand where they're coming from. In any debate, the ones on either far end tend to be the loudest voices. I don't know, maybe you've noticed that. And sometimes my heart sinks when it's Christians who are occupying those spaces, especially when they seem to lack an appreciation of the complexity of the situation and also maybe some empathy for the people who are directly involved. Or maybe when I hear stories of people who feel like there's a part of them that's not welcome in God's church, my heart breaks and I think God's is breaking as well. Have you ever wondered how God's instruction to love people has turned into people judging who deserves that love first? I think it's fair to say Christians haven't always got it right. In fact, sometimes got it really, really wrong. And yet, in my experience of people's disappointment, it's not usually Jesus that they're disappointed with. For most people who know something of who he was and what he was like, they'd actually like to be more like him. And they'd like to know people who genuinely share his values. Imagine what our world would look like if we all looked a little bit more like Jesus. If we postured ourselves the way that he did. If we learnt to better balance our gentleness with our desire for justice. If we learnt to better balance our pursuit of holiness, this godly standard of living, and also showed great mercy and compassion. What if we valued people more than systems? I wonder if we sat at the feet of Jesus a little bit longer, if we might begin to follow in his steps a little bit more closely if we would walk and talk a bit more like him. And I wonder if that would make us more attractive to the world around us. So how does Jesus call us to interact with the world around us? Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a story in Luke's account of Jesus' life. So if you've brought your Bible with you and you'd like to read along, um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Some of you may have heard this story before, some of you may not have, um, but I invite you to listen to it afresh, as if for the very first time this morning. So it goes like this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. 
Right, Jesus tells him, do this and you will live. And I think that's a pretty good answer. I mean, doesn't that pretty much sum up how our culture expects us to live? But he wanted something a bit more specific than that. Perhaps something a bit more reasonable and attainable, maybe something even measurable. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? And I can see where he's coming from. I like the certainty that comes with a rule that promises if you do this, then you get this. And how much better is it when it's specific, you know? Do this at this place, at this time, in this way. It kind of feels nice having a really specific rule like that. Maybe you like those kind of rules. But Jesus, again, wisely avoids answering his question directly. Instead, he tells a story, a parable. Now, this story is set on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And this would have been a fairly well-known road for the people listening to Jesus' story. It was narrow and it was notoriously dangerous because people could often lie in wait and hide for a victim. So the story goes, a Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up and they left him on the side of the road. Now in the first... Oh, sorry... Now, by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by. Now, in the first century, priests were pretty well respected and they were also wealthy. So we would probably assume that he was on an animal, like a donkey or something, for this journey. So he would have had the means to transport this man somewhere safe where he could recover. But what Jesus' audience also would have known is that the priest has probably just been serving in the Jerusalem temple and the priests are required to be ceremonially pure. Now, coming near a corpse or a potential corpse would have compromised that purity and it would have taken a week to purify himself again. I wonder if any of you guys have suddenly had a week's worth of plans cancelled recently. So that's probably why he passed him by. And then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Now, the temple assistant would have been more likely to be taking this journey on foot, but the same purity rules didn't apply to him, which is probably why he allowed himself to get a little bit closer to the man to have a look. But he had probably also seen the priest pass by before him, and so he decided to do the same. Then, a despised Samaritan comes along. Now, when we hear Samaritan, it might have some good connotations, and that's probably because this story has inspired people for so many centuries. I think sometimes it's probably lost its original meaning. I remember once at school, one of my friends was describing someone who was a bit of a goody-two-shoes as a good Samaritan. But that was actually the opposite of what Jesus' audience would have thought when they heard it. For them, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. You see, Jews and Samaritans were hated enemies of each other. The Samaritans were considered this sort of mixed-race people group. They had some Jewish heritage, so they were a little bit similar, but they'd been living separately for so long now that they looked quite different, and they worshipped in different places. To give you an idea of what this was like, about 100 years before Jesus was born, the Jews went to the Samaritan temple at Mount Gerizim and destroyed it. 
And then about the time of Jesus' birth, the Samaritans went into Jerusalem and defiled the Jewish temple there by spreading dead bones around. And in the 30 years it took Jesus to grow up, nothing had changed. Uh, Just in this chapter before this in Luke's account, we hear that Jesus encounters this religious law expert on his own journey to Jerusalem. Now, as Jesus was going along, he sent some of his followers, his disciples, out ahead of him to find somewhere to stay for the night. They went into a Samaritan village and nowhere would welcome them because they were Jewish. So the disciples went back to Jesus and were really angry and they said to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire and destroy them all? So even disciples at this point did not like the Samaritans very much. Whenever a Samaritan turns up, there's kind of this uncomfortable tension there for Jesus' audience. I wonder what kind of person turning up in this story would create that effect in you. But the Samaritan in this parable had a completely unexpected response. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he could take care of him. The next day, he handed over the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man on the side of the road? Jesus asked the expert in religious law. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, the Samaritan scandalously loved the man who was beaten up on the side of the road. It was scandalous for a Jewish man to come in contact with a Samaritan the way that he did. And he loved him in all the ways the previous three characters didn't. Unlike the temple assistant, he went over and touched him and bandaged up his wounds. Unlike the priest, he put the man on his donkey and took him to safety. And unlike the bandits who stole from from him, the Samaritan paid for his costs at the inn and even promised to come back and pay any further costs. So not only did the Samaritan put to rights the wrong of the bandits who actively hated the man, but also put to right the error of the priest and the temple assistant who passed by. And yet out of all of those characters, the Samaritan was the one least expected to show compassion. And this is the example that Jesus gives us of what it means to love our neighbour as ourselves. This kind of love is not limited to those that might look and dress like us. It's not limited to those who could pay us back. It's not limited to those that we decide are making good choices. It's not limited to those who are in need when it's convenient for us. This story was designed to stretch and to challenge our idea of who we consider a neighbour, to include anyone, everyone. And this isn't a kind of love that just avoids causing harm, that just follows all the rules and makes this little holy huddle. Because if it was, then the priest and the temple assistant did a pretty good job. But Jesus didn't suggest that. But the love of the Samaritan is to see the hurt and the harm already done around us and to respond to it. To go out of our way to be generous 
to enter into the uncomfortable and to allow ourselves to be interrupted, to offer acceptance and healing. The question is not who is my neighbour or who do I owe love to. The expert in religious law was asking the wrong question. What Jesus would rather us ask is whose neighbour will you become or how will you become a neighbour? Now, obviously, becoming a neighbour to every single person on the planet is a fair way beyond possible. And when I see the kind of love the Samaritan showed, it's kind of overwhelming. Like, that's a lot. There's so much hurt in this world. There's so much complexity. And I know I bring my own baggage and my own fears to those situations as well. But what I find helpful in the story of this Samaritan is the way that he postures himself. He wasn't walking around looking for an opportunity to be a hero. He was just going about his day. But he allowed himself to notice what was happening around him and to be interrupted by it. What opportunities do you come across in your day to become a neighbour to someone? Maybe even someone you wouldn't normally associate with. Maybe it's another parent at school drop-off who looks like they could really do with some encouragement. Maybe it's the new person on your sports team who doesn't know anyone. Maybe it's someone at the supermarket who just needs some help with their bags. Maybe it's the person whose political views just drive you really, really nuts, but you know they could really do with a friend right now. Maybe it's consuming in a way that reduces our impact on our global neighbours. Or maybe it's just meeting the people who live next door. If we adopted a posture of being open and available without judgment to show love to everyone, I think this world would be better. One of the things I love about this community is that Jesus is already inspiring us to love so many different people in so many different ways. Some of them we heard about just this morning. And they aren't being done for glory or praise, so we don't hear about them that often, but I think they're really great stories to share. So I'd like to invite Helen Colston up this morning um, to share a bit of her experience as well of what it means to be a neighbour to people who are often left, are often treated like the people on the side of the road. So good morning, Helen. Welcome up. Morning. First thing I wanted to ask you, what stands out to you in the story of the Good Samaritan? Oh, the Good Samaritan is one of those stories that you always love, especially growing up in the church or with faith. Um, I've always just loved with reading The Good Samaritan is, yeah, the compassion which you've already mentioned and the non-judgment shown to someone who, you know, he wouldn't normally have to show by, you know, how you've mentioned. So I've just always been inspired by that and challenged to, to live the same in my life. Great, thank you. Now, your work is really interesting. We were chatting about this. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about who you work for mm. and what they do? Always love talking about my work. Um, so I work for a not-for-profit organisation called St Kilda Gatehouse and we're a faith-based organisation. We've been around about 30 years. This is actually our 30th year anniversary. And um, we provide spaces of belonging and safety to women reliant on street-based sex work and to young women and girls who are at risk of sexual exploitation as a result of hardship in their life. Um, we do this through sort of four main streams, I guess. We run a drop-in centre in St Kilda where women can access a safe space for material aid, someone to chat to, social connection, 
um, opportunities for pathways off the streets. Um, we run a Greve Street, we call it the Greve Street Op Shop, which is also in St Kilda, and we have social inclusion opportunities, and it's a social enterprise for women to upskill, they can get volunteering skills and participate in craft groups and things like that. Um, we also have a young women's program, which predominantly services the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, and that's for young people, 12 to 25-year-olds, who are at risk of sexual exploitation. And that project was started as a result of, you know, hearing the stories from women in St Kilda who said, if someone had been there and intervened, perhaps in my early days, I might not have ended up where I am today on the streets. And the last one is we run professional development um, workshops and opportunities for professionals in intervening in child sexual exploitation, which links back to our Young Women's Project mm. program. Yeah, that's great. So in light of that, what does it look like to follow the call of Jesus to love your neighbour as yourself? Yeah, um, well, I, I guess Saint, in the context of St Kilda Gatehouse, I... I've been there 10 years now and when I first started, you know, I mean, the women involved or reliant on street-based sex work are so stigmatised and so misunderstood and I think I didn't realise to the extent until I started working at St Kilda Gatehouse and so loving your neighbour is just, to me, is the little things, is loving in the little ways and not having any fix-it mentalities or um, any expectation of what you think the end result should be for someone. And so, you know, at St Kilda Gatehouse, that I'd see that every day. Um, and it's just amazing how the difference it can make when you're not judging someone and you're just accepting them for who they are, even if you don't agree with their lifestyle or choices made. It's just loving people in the little ways and... and being able to see that at work in St Kilda is quite remarkable. Mm. Now, tell me, do you always find this easy to love people in that way? <laughs> yeah, look, I, it's, I think it's... No. <laughs> no, but, but yes, it, I'll, and I'll explain why I answer both yes and no. Um, we have this sort of fairly recent saying of unhurried kindness... And at St Kilda Gatehouse, it's, that's what we try to show to people is unhurried kindness. And we recently did a, an organisational-wide survey where just to where we could see the impact, you know, that we've had on individuals' lives. And until you hear the feedback, you know, of people, you think, oh, it's just those little things that, that make it easy. So that's sort of the easy side. So, you know, you hear stories of... A feedback of like women saying, "Oh, I don't feel judged. I don't feel judged when I come. I can be who I can be myself. You're my family. You saved my life." Um, the young, the young women that we work with, things like they'll say, "You celebrate me." Now that's just a simple thing. Many of these young people don't have someone to just celebrate their birthday. Mm. You know, it's it's simple. Those things are simple. The hard, the hard stuff is we have many people who die. They die from overdoses and families are affected and it's heartbreaking. And, and often people don't 
you know, perhaps you're encouraging people to make certain life decisions or, or, or want them to go in certain ways. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But, but you know, you can, all you can do is still love people and be there for them. And I guess there's just... I, I've learnt so much from colleagues that I work with too. One, one story that I'll share is I was in at the, our drop-in centre in St Kilda one day and we have a shower that because um, many of the women are homeless and so we have a shower where they can come and shower and, you know, set up for the day. And this particular day, um, she'd left a mess in the shower. And, and when I say mess, like, she, she basically hadn't made it to the toilet. Pretty gross, right? And, we, you know, as a staff, we were like, oh, who's going to clean it up, you know, like, what, what do we do? We're talking. And, and this happens sometimes, this can happen. But who like, and one of my colleagues said, oh, I know who it was, you know, I know who it was. And so we were like, oh, should we just go talk to her and say, look, maybe you should come in and clean up, you know. And my colleague just, we sat there and my colleague said, no, she's already had so much shame, so much shame that she carries and I wouldn't want to do that to her. It wasn't on purpose. It was just an accident and those sort of acts of... And so my colleague went and cleaned up the mess and went on with the day and to me that just really... I was like, oh, like my reaction is, oh, I'm not cleaning that up, you know, <laughs> and many of us who are fighting about who's going to do it but I think those, those little acts of kindness and giving dignity to people and love is just so powerful. Mm. That's great. Thanks, Helen. Why don't you give her a hand? <laughs> there are so many people out there in, a little, in need of a little bit more love, aren't there? And I think it's amazing how God uses different people to meet those different needs. Now, whether you're here this morning and you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus or maybe you're just still learning a bit more about him, I encourage you to spend the next week with your eyes open just a little bit wider to see who God might be inviting you to become a neighbour to. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, but just before we finish, there's one last thing I wanted to share. And that's that this isn't just a story about loving radically. Because if it was, I think Jesus would have made the man on the side of the road the despised Samaritan and he would have chosen a Jewish person to come over and show that extravagant love by crossing those cultural barriers. But this is also a story about being loved radically by someone who is so different, who doesn't owe you anything, and who does so at great cost and risk. I think Jesus was also inviting his audience and is inviting us to imagine ourselves as the man on the side of the road, to realise our own limitations and how much in need of a saviour we are. Because Jesus' holiness and perfection makes him different to us. We didn't do anything to earn his love. And he gave up his privilege in heaven to come down and inhabit a body, to endure our humanity's hatred of him and to pay the ultimate debt that was held against us so that we could be healed and live freely. I wonder if we became more aware of our own failings and the scars that we carry, that we might be a bit more humble, that we might be capable of deeper compassion. Maybe then our pride wouldn't be so much of an obstacle.
that assured and amazed of God's love for us, so perfectly expressed in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, and inspired and led by his spirit, that we might be able to more radically love those around us. And this is what followers of Jesus should be known for, for loving God and loving people. That's what people want to see us doing. We get our worst reputation when we judge, exclude or use people. When we act like the robber or the priest and the temple assistant. But Jesus instead calls us to posture ourselves like the Samaritan did to the man on the side of the road. To show radical love, mercy and compassion without judgment to everyone, just as Jesus himself did. So as we finish up, I wonder what's um, been in your mind this morning. Maybe God's prompted you with something. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're treating people like the bandits. Maybe you're causing harm in pursuit of your own benefit. Maybe there's a name or a group of people that have come to mind this morning that God's calling you to become a neighbour to. Maybe even change the way that you respond to them. Or maybe this morning you identify most with the man on the side of the road. Do you have some wounds that need binding up? Maybe Jesus is inviting you to sit with him a little longer and to embrace the amazing depth of love that he has towards you and his generous offer of help and healing.